From the cable guy to freaks and geeks to the big sick to the king of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's prodigious career has seen him direct, write, and produce a wide variety of comedies. Some are good. Some are fine. Some are spectacular. But most are held high on at least someone's podium. His brand of comedy doesn't necessarily fit for everyone. I mean, I can't stand Talladega Nights or Step Brothers, but comedy is subjective, so whatever. Hart is generally less so. And despite what you might think about some of his films, what's most impressive is the way he's able to blend his comedy with his heart. In 2009's Knocked Up, that brand smells like a bunch of stoner dudes hanging out in a house riffing comedic barbs at each other while Leslie Mann stares daggers at them across a fence line. But at the heart of this film is the essential question that our genre asks, can these two people be together? And for Katherine Heigl's straight-laced reporter and Seth Rogen's layabout website maker, this is an essential question to answer once they decide that the baby they are having together means that they should give it a shot. With wonderful performances by all and just the right amount of heart, this dated piece of work still gets the laughs needed to balance out the sweet with the stoner. I mean, sour. I just yacked. Something nasty. I feel way better, though. I think that's, like, the secret. Like, you, you gotta, I mean... Once you're hungover, you just gotta puke. Feel so. Did you puke? No. You can't. I don't think it's gross. Oh, that's okay. I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Some coffee. So. You know the best thing for a hangover is weed. Do you smoke? Do you smoke weed? Not really. You don't? No. At all? Mm-mm. Like in the morning? No, I just don't. You know, it, it's like it is like the best medicine. Because <laughs> it fixes everything. Jonah broke his elbow once. We just got high and. Still clicks, but I mean, he's okay. Right. Yeah. Last night was great. What I remember of it. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, it was fun. I had a great time. Yeah. So, what do you do? I work at E. The television show? Uh huh. Remember? Wow. We had this conversation last night. I, I told you about my promotion. I was out celebrating it. No? No. I've. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. I'm actually doing my first on-air interview today. Ryan, you've been pregnant before, right? Yes. Yes. Um, Personally. Yes, I know. There was uh, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type situation? Yes, okay. I was I was the embryo holder, carrier. How many times did you do a pregnancy test before you figured out you were in fact pregnant? Um. It was just like that. It was about a hundred of them first. <laughs> uh, Catherine Heigl p- pees on so many sticks. And the best thing is, this is the second rom-com that we've watched with a Sobe bottle in regards to pregnant women. Right. Right? Okay. I'm finding like there's like a 2008, 2007 yeah. trope going on. Because Catherine Heigl watched Juno and she's like, that's how you get a lot of pee. Uh-huh. She didn't, she didn't go the Sunny D route. She's like, pink Sobe. Yeah. Um, hey, welcome to Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm Kelly McCrillis, and as always with me is my co-host. Ryan Graves. And this week we watched 2009's Knocked Up. Pacow. Pacow. So this is Judd Apatow. It's a Judd Apatow production. We finally production. got there. Yeah. Yeah. It is the brand, the Apatow. You know, I think this might be one of my favorite Apatows. 
Really? Yeah, we like I, there was a an episode I think it was the one with Rachel on where I disparaged uh, yeah. the Apatow style. Um and there there are some things about the comedy that, you know, sometimes get a bit much for me, but I think a lot of that comes from the unrated versions that I've seen. Yeah. Cause I really dug this. Okay, good. Um, you, you, you liked it. Yeah. I, I kind of liked it. Okay. We finally get a time when you're more on, on point than I am. Are you calling me a moron? Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry, sir. I am out of here. So yeah, I, Kind of liked it. Um, and here's this week's thesis statement from me is, man, I do not like his friends. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, but there's, there's kind of like this. Well, we talked about it last week. We talked about, or a couple weeks ago, uh, there's a version of people being funny. Oh, it was in regards to Jim Gandolfini, who is also name-checked in this film. Yeah, I like it as uh, the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Com Cinematic Universe. Yeah, yeah, this is the... Um, G, 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 T, G, R, C, U, U. Thanos is going to come in here and just like burn everybody. Perfectly balanced. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. They would all cease to exist. And I call that mercy. There is, there is a, a difference between like having a bunch of friends who are comedians who are just given time to be comedians and people having like normal interactions. And that's kind of the style that I kind of grade against at times. Right. And so all of, uh, in this movie, all of Seth Rogen's friends, including himself, are comedians at each other. Right. And to a certain extent, uh, Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann as well. Yeah. And, um, it, and it makes perfect sense in The Big Sick because they're literally comedians. Uh-huh. And when they're riffing with each other, they're, they're, doing, they're doing sparring. They're doing dojo training where they're just like trying to sharpen their comedic wit. That's a really apt each metaphor. Other. I like that. But here, they're just a bunch of stoners who have incredible wit. And it's like, <laughs> you guys are a bunch of stoners. Like, you you are not this witty. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe this group of humans are, like the actors themselves, when they all hang out, because they're all friends in real life anyway. Yeah. But th- you're not making characters at that point in time, which this movie kind of wasn't, because like Jason Segel's name in this film is Jason. Jason. Jonah Hill's name is Jonah. So the the movie drops all pretense of like dropping characters in and Judd Apatow is just stacking the court with his buddies and uh-huh. funny people he knows that he can just throw as much of them into this movie to like get as many laughs as he can make. Yeah, and I think it, as long as you keep the audience laughing, they're going to like pay a little bit less attention to stuff that is nonsensical in the film, which yeah. Doesn't always work for me, but worked a little bit more for me in this film than others. Interesting. Okay, well, let's... Let's, let's let, get to the story. Let's get into the story. Tell me a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, you'll probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. 
So this is a story all about how one guy got another girl pregnant. Yeah, two. <laughs> Basically, Seth Rogen and uh, Catherine Heigl meet at a club that is the most 2009-2008 club that ever existed. Yeah. There were like five of these in in close proximity to our college. Did you ever go to Club C8 or Club 8? It also had another name, Club Club Stick to the Walls. Do you know the one I'm talking about? In Spokane? Yeah, on Division. It was like a mile from school. There were clubs school. like this in Spokane? I mean, they were they were clubs that tried to be like yeah, this. Yeah, because Spokane, if no one knows, is a dual culture. You have college kids from Christian schools, from <laughs> Gonzaga or Whitworth, and then you have Spokies, which is, if you ever looked at a country album, that's what a Spokie is. Just just beautiful young country looking person yeah yeah <laughs> that well if you're going out if you're going out like uh-huh. i didn't go to clubs but i did go to the karaoke bar down the street and it was always oh yeah yeah F- F- fizzy milligans yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was always the dueling pianos of the two crowds that was there. Yeah, it, it was, was <laughs> either like cowboy boots and hats wearing people who waited for a song they could square dance to, right? or some kids from the local college. And the kids from the local college were me and you, and when it was my turn, I was like, I'm going to do a talking head song. And I did the talking head song, and every spokey was staring, no, I'm sorry, glaring at me of like, turn off this stupid new wave shit and put on the... Brooks and Dunn or whatever country music is. <laughs> we we, we prefer Towny, but yeah, sure, Spokies. No, works. they were called Spokies. Spokenites. Yeah. Spokenites, maybe. Didn't I, we're going to get letters. Well, it, I don't mean Spokie is derogatory. Is it, derog- is it, late. Is yeah. it derogatory? Yeah, you can't go back anymore. They're not going to let you in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I thought they liked being spoke, Spokies. Spokies. <laughs> I've never heard the term. Really? No, never. Oh, maybe because you're a Spokie. I I did I did live in Spokey for a while. I don't think you count though because you're also a Californian. Oh, don't say that. Now I can't stay in Oregon. Well, no, now you can go to the clubs in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, speaking of clubs in Los Angeles, um so basically they go to the club, uh Catherine Heigl and her sister, Catherine Heigl who is like an E entertainment news anchor yep. kind of reporter. E and Seth Rogen, who is just a burner who has a website like Mr. Skin, yep. <laughs> where you can go find uh, the timestamp of where people are nude in movies. Uh-huh. And they meet at the club, have a club interaction where they both get drunk because of one good interaction between them. They end up going home and sleeping together. And then eight weeks later, she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And the movie is about them kind of... Um, just dealing with the ins and outs of two opposite people having to, who are good people, two mm-hmm. opposite people who are generally nice people trying to make being pregnant together work. Yeah. Yeah. And making a relationship work over that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Seth Rogen, his character is a stoner from Canada. Yeah. He doesn't work. Lives with a bunch of people. And so he, his money situation is that he just had a bunch of savings from some settlement. Getting hit by a car. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to know what all these other guys do up for money. I Yeah. I don't know. We never really get into that. But I for some reason, Jason Segel, and maybe it's just because he's the oldest and because of his weird facial hair, I was like, I feel like you are the kingpin of the situation. Like you, you sell drugs and that's how you make money. Yeah. Cause he also bet 
what's his name from Martin Freaks and Star. Geeks? Martin Star. All right. Are you sure you understand the terms of the bet? Because this is serious. No. Martin. All right. Listen. <laughs> you don't shave your beard or cut your hair for one year, and if you can do that, I will pay your rent. But if you shave, then you have to pay all five of our rents. Thanks for the free money, bitch. And so Jason Segel is the one with the most money in this house. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a solid bet. I would I would be tempted to take that bet. Yeah, if I could get my rent paid for a year, would I grow a beard out for a year? I think I could do it. I would do it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, Martin gets like nine months into it, and then he 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 crushes, he he crumbles. Yeah, but he he doesn't have to pay off the bet because he just has to like acquiesce and say, "You are the master." Oh, well, that's easy. Yeah, I know. Well, you know. Um, hey, Robin, if you could write in and let me know whether it's okay for me to grow out a beard for a year, you, 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 you I'm not that. paying your rent, so I wouldn't bother. Hmm. <laughs> and Robin wouldn't make that bet with me because I don't think she wants me to grow out my beard for a year. She's already paying rent. Well, maybe this month. <laughs> what, Ryan? You've got you've got your your Seth Rogen and your Katherine Heigl, two complete opposites, right? And they don't really get into how opposite they are until the morning after. Yeah, and talk about that. Well, it's the movie's saying they're opposites, but I also feel like Seth Rogen is just so not. I don't I don't know how to say this nicely. Mm-hmm. Help me say this nicely. <laughs> okay. He's, he's, I want, uh, want, I just, just, he's a loser. (laughs) Like, he's just, he is. I mean, uh, like, uh, that seems awful high and mighty of us, but there's, there's a point in time where he's, he's, they go to breakfast the morning after, and like, Catherine Heigl is being like, is kind of like holding out that this guy is, Maybe there's something to him. There's something to him that maybe can give her like a second day with him. Yeah, she's given him the benefit of the doubt. And at one point in time, he's he's like, I don't have a job. I don't have much money. I, I eat a lot of spaghetti. He's like, I'm not poor, but I eat a lot of spaghetti. <laughs> I get stoned all the time, and my only career interest is making this porn website. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like trying to hold it together. And I have been at that point in my life where I eat a lot of spaghetti. But you but, were never a stoner. Well, no, no, no. It doesn't matter. Uh, you can be a stoner and eat a lot of spaghetti and you can live your life the way you want to. But it's it's um, all comes from the fact that Seth Rogen is both unabashed and self-aware enough to have shame about this mm-hmm. because he's he never, he doesn't have a filter. He just kind of is, is completely unashamed uh, at least at face value when he's explaining his life. Yeah. He's like, this is who I am. I'm being very upfront and honest about who I am. And then when she leaves, he's like, well, that couldn't have gone <laughs> any worse. Yeah. And so there's, there's at the same time, a character who has no filter and is unashamed, but is also self-aware enough to be like, I know why that didn't go well. And it's one of those things where maybe it's just him being really young because he's 23 in the movie and yeah. that's just where he, his sure. station in life is. Whereas I feel like Jason Sagel has made his choice and yeah. this is how uh, his life, he wants his life to be. Like his, Seth Rogen's actually 26 when he makes this movie. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, it makes me feel like such a failure in life. <laughs> um, and You are much more accomplished than these characters at 23. No, characters, <laughs> Seth Rogen. 
yeah. I'm talking about. I mean, let's let's throw it on the table. Seth Rogen's very talented. He is an extremely talented actor and filmmaker. He's really talented. And S- same with every, most people in this movie they're are just really talented. like bringing it. And that's what's one of the most important elements of Judd Apatow is that he has an ear for taste. Like he he understands what a good performer can bring. And that's why when he comes on to projects that aren't really his, he can still like get the project really well mm-hmm. done. Like Big Sick is produced by Judd Apatow and like Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, like these guys are just perfect for that movie. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Everyone in this movie is perfect for the role. Yeah, they really are. And um whether it's his friends or um, you know, Catherine Hegel's sister and brother in law. Um, yeah. Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd. Or Paul he, Rudd. Paul Rudd Paul Rudd is is like they're both perfect in their roles, but there's something so absolutely sweet about Paul Rudd that I can never get over. I have the biggest, biggest crush on you, Paul Rudd. You're amazing. Yeah. And and I'm so glad we finally got to a movie where he had like a kind of a a starring-ish role where I didn't hate the movie because the only other one we've had oh. so far was Yeah, um, like uh, uh, they came they together, came together. Yeah. is such a poor reflection of the Paul Rudd persona. It's like, this is not what we go to Paul Rudd movies for. But we, we then on the other side, the flip side of this coin is we have super responsible for the most part, Catherine Heigl, yeah. who is living with her sister, but you know, is it has like a seemingly well-paying job. Her, oh, sis- yeah. her sister and Paul Rudd seem pretty rich because at one point in time, she, <laughs> she's like the most classist where she's like, he doesn't have a cell phone. My like, seven-year-old daughter has a cell phone it's like yeah because you pay for it yeah (laughs) but um she's you know lives in this big pool house um seemingly pretty nice and she has a day job and a car but i i think even though they are on the outside and like the way they live their life is pretty opposite i think they're they have a weird like standard for what makes a relationship that coincides with each other, both Seth Rogen and Catherine Heigl's characters that kind of make them okay for each other. Yeah. Yeah. There's an intentionality. And at the end of the day, what's appealing about Seth Rogen is that he is very sweet and he's very, um, uh, he's intentional. Yeah. And, and he's not perfect because he fails in that regard a lot. Um, but he tries, he tries, Yes, but it takes him a while to get there. Yeah. Um, and Catherine Heigl, for the most part, is also cool and fun. She's, like, as a character, she's, like, um, you know, not only responsible, but she's patient and kind. Like, these are two people where if I saw them together, even though the ephemera of their lives don't match up, I'd be like, sure. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and so a lot of this movie is just kind of them figuring out a relationship where... Yes, they're opposites, but also a lot of the conflict comes from Catherine Heigl dealing with a guy who can barely take care of himself. Right, because he doesn't have a job. He he thinks, okay, this is what I don't get with Seth Rogen's plan. <laughs> he thinks that he has, he has about $900 in the bank account, and he's like, that'll last for about two years. I'm like, you're living in Los Angeles. Well, but it's kind of like in the same way. Let's okay. Let's let's dive into. I've lived with five people before. I know. I know. But. Like, let's get into this element of the stoner house because you and I have thorough experience of dealing with these type of people. <laughs> these type of people. Well, 
<laughs> I mean, I lived in the Squalrous house. Sure, sure. And I lived in, for a very short amount of time, um, the motherland. And these were the houses. These, <laughs> I don't mean to say you people, but these people know how to stretch a buck. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I was those people. I didn't. I wasn't a stoner because I didn't really smoke pot. But at the same time, I was super poor for a while. Yeah, and you were too in a way. I just, yeah. I mean, I I was a little bit more privileged. I still got some cash from my parents, but mm-hmm. not. I mean, there were some people who were just set up by their parents that they took care of everything. And it's just sure. like, I didn't really do much with my social life. You were like, let's go downtown. I'm like, let's stay in. <laughs> um, the This house, though, is like kind of a bunch of people who they're they're all working on this website together, right? Which is... They're not changing the world. They're just making it easier for people to masturbate to celebrities, basically. And in that same way, I I think that Judd Apatow would be saying, like, if you are living like this, you – I don't know if he would use the word loser. I wouldn't use the word loser. But you are – you're not making something of your life. You're existing in your life. Right. Um, I mean, I, I am, I'm just, I'm going to check my bias at the door and I'm going to say, I did not have a great time living in my stoner (laughs) house because my stoner house was kind of invaded because I was the one who found the house and I did not pick those roommates. (laughs) And um, if you guys are listening, it's cool water under the bridge, but I think we all agree it wasn't a super compatible living situation that year. <laughs> uh, Ryan agrees that he is um, pretentious and likes a nice, quiet environment a la Fraser Crane. Yeah. And it was really me, Fraser Crane, living with five Martin Cranes who are always high. Yeah, totally. And um, to each their own, c'est la vie. Um, but that's I'm French. Fra- <laughs> but I'm Fraser. <laughs> um, and, and when I. I just lived at the motherland over the summer and like took took part in Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and the occasional party over there during the school year. Mm. So I don't think they even had an attention span for D and D. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, the motherland was a cooler house. I think so. No but, offense, guys, Esquivelris. I'll take you guys on any day. But I mean, this was the house where you know if you wanted to build a wall of Keystone light boxes, you could do it every night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or Natty Ice. Natty Ice. Natty Ice is the other. Um, I do, Okay. If, if you could drink beer, which you can't anymore. Um, I'm okay with that. What's, what's your beer of choice? Natty Ice. Ew, <laughs> that's <laughs> no, not true. No. Um, Are you an IPA or like a light beer kind of person? Yeah, IPA. And okay. that's my Portland identity coming mm-hmm. out. Um, you, you're supposed to drink an IPA if you live in Portland. Because Robin and I got to talking about power hours the other day. And you usually usually like a very light beer if you're going to do a power hour. You know power hour? No. Power hour is basically... We'll edit this out, maybe. <laughs> is basically you, you take a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Uh, every Yeah. Well, isn't that like a drinking game? Kind of, yeah. I mean... <laughs> It's a game, I guess, where you just drink every minute for an hour. So there's not a lot of skill. No, there's like this app on a phone where you would listen to music, and every time it it would change the song every sixty seconds, uh-huh. and every sixty seconds you'd have to drink a shot of beer. Sure, this has been around before apps, though. I know, but it was more fun with music. Sure. Oh yeah, of course. Well, you use light beer because otherwise it's like five beers in an hour. Yeah, and yeah. It gets really heavy. Yeah, that's that's what we did. But I've only really drunk IPAs. 
almost exclusively since coming to Portland. Not not because it's just what's available and good here, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking, you know, I haven't had a light beer in such a long time. I wonder how easy that would be or if I have a full head. And I'm I'm almost curious enough to try. You want to do a power hour? On, on the radio almost. If, if I'm going to do a power hour, it would be with you and it would be on the radio for some reason. Let's do a power hour when we get like the world's no 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 let's do this do you want to make a promise to our audience we're (laughs) when the time comes for us to do bonus episodes and we we do eventually want to do a patreon and and have bonus episodes Uh that i would like to do a commentary track for like a terrible film and we'll power hour through a terrible film okay um like maid of honor or valentine's day that's the only way to get mission like a a nice gfb yeah because if i did power hour with my my lick my spirit of choice gin i would be gone and well you'd be gone in like 10 minutes yeah yeah. you'd (laughs) be dead (laughs) um okay so knocked up throughout this movie Seth Rogen kind of um, attempts like there's there's this there's this theme going on between the two couples where um, the two sisters are driving in the car at one point in time. Catherine Heigl and her sister, played by Leslie Mann, and Judd Apatow's wife. Let's point out, yeah. Also, his daughters are yeah Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd's daughters. Yeah, and they're great. Yeah, they're really fun. They're really. I I hope they're actors. At this they point are. Maude Apatow is. A, is, is totally an actress now. Cool. She's she's good. Yeah. Uh, the way she like s- s- really at one point in time she really like embarrassedly says penis <laughs> yeah. and it's so funny. Yeah. Penis means penis. Oh. Penis. <laughs> um. But they're they're driving along in the car like partway into uh, Seth Rogen like wanting to be a part of Catherine Heigl's life and in they, they have this really sweet phone conversation between the two of them where he's like, he's like, I don't know what's going on. I know I haven't handled everything great, but I'm going to, I'm going to be there to support you. And it's like, like this is what a normal good guy would do, but it's completely unexpected for Catherine Heigl's character for him to have done that. And so it's a really sweet moment because she's crying because she doesn't want to go through this alone. And yeah, he, really wants to be a good guy. And he goes to his dad, Harold Ramis for advice. Yeah. Who, Harold Ramis is just in these movies. I love it. Like he's in, um, orange County. No, no. What's the, what's the one that we watched? Um, as good as it gets. Oh yeah. yeah. But he's also in orange County. Yeah, sure. He's in orange County. He's in ghostbusters. He is ghostbusters. He, he wrote di- ghostbusters. He directed a lot of these, uh, uh, like three episodes of the office where there's like four people from the office in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and a couple of Parks and Rec people as well. Yeah, but he he also directed Groundhog Day. Yeah, which is one of the great Bill Murray rom coms, which we'll eventually get to. Yeah, I mean he's he's all over our genre. But anyway, after all of this has happened, um, the sisters are having a conversation in the car, and they they come to this point where they're talking about the philosophy of how to be with somebody. You need to train him, huh? Oprah said that when two people meet. They are forced to point out each other's differences and flaws. I thought you were supposed to just accept people for who they are, love them anyway. You criticize them a lot, and then they get so down on themselves that they're forced to change. Really? You don't think that would just make it worse? I'd be like naggy. And then in the end, they thank you for it. Where Leslie Mann's opinion is, you have to recognize your differences and change the other person, like 
tear their faults apart and change them. <laughs> just terrible the advice. Just it's totally misguided. But I think this was back in 2009, 2008. This was like a, at least a conversation that me and friends were having for some reason. I don't know if it was because of movies bringing it up, but where like the idea of acceptance rather than evolution or changing yeah. um, in a relationship. And maybe it's just like that time of your life. You're like late teens, early twenties. You're talking more about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and Catherine Heigl's like, no, you should accept somebody for who they are. And over the course of this movie, Catherine Heigl becomes more worried about her relationship with Seth Rogen because of the way she sees Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd interacting where they don't have a perfect relationship and it's not a bad relationship, but there's a lack of communication and there's a, like the two of them aren't perfect together. There's a lot of systemic issues with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. Right. And they're not working on it. Right. And, um, I think Catherine Heigl is worried that there is going to be that in her relationship with, Seth Rogen, which rightfully so, like they're very different people and he is very irresponsible throughout most of this movie. And you can't just accept him for who he is because if he's going to be a supporter of her, a supporter of the child, Mm -hmm. he needs to step it up. Right. And I think what this movie does well is it, unlike the movie we watched last week, um, Enough Said, Mm -hmm. they, they really get into the, the ins and outs of Paul Rudd and um, Leslie Mann's relationship yeah. and they they allow those characters room to like talk about how they're feeling and what their relationship is actually like and have that reflected back to our main characters okay here's where you and I get to differ and here's where I'm gonna be the Ebenezer Scrooge oh no <laughs> please sir may I have some more that's, that's Oliver. Oliver you you're an English <laughs> major how dare you they're they're both um, that one author. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this movie is Bleak House. <laughs> this movie is over two hours long. Yeah, two hours and nine minutes. There are sequences in this film where we're just following what's going on with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann. And I'm mm-hmm. just sitting there and I'm just like, what does this have to do with anything? This is such an irrelevant a uh, rabbit trail that we're going on that it just feels so irrelevant okay. to the story. Which, which parts? When she is going after him because she thinks he's cheating on her. And it's this whole setup and this whole gag where he's not cheating on her, he's just going to fantasy baseball. Sure. And it okay. takes so much screen time to get through all of this content. And it's just like, you're taking too long. The pace of the movie was really derailed for me. I did not have a good time with their story as much as I think it I think it could have been really improved. Okay. Just by like excising a little bit? Yeah. And I feel like you and I as writers fall on one side or the other on on this mm-hmm. kind of thing where when you as a writer, you always want to include as much as possible and you you look at the thing that you write and you're like, there's nowhere to cut. And I'm the opposite where I'll just cut, 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 cut. And like, nobody's going to want to hire me now. Well, (laughs) but I'll, I'll cut too much where Mm. I'll go too far and make it too chopped up. And like, I'll probably cut out the heart of stuff because I just think 
this isn't important, this isn't important, and it gets to a point where it's just like, well, now it's... it's now it's just events. Yeah, now mm. it's lost. It's kind of... And that's where, like, Enough Said is, like, that... There probably was a, an extra half... There could have been an extra half an hour mm-hmm. of uh, Tony Collette and Ben Falcone that was just on the cutting room floor and would have had that depth that you were looking for. But sure. I'm like, no, this is the rhythm it needs to be because the focus of the film is Gandolfini. And that's what's important. And that's how I felt knocked up. I'm like, why are we on these characters? What's important is is uh, Seth Rogen and, I and guess Catherine Heigl. I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to disagree with you here because um, I agree that they are the most important characters. But I think, and I think their fears could have been illustrated a little bit better um, with a little bit more sharper focus um, yeah. by the other couple. But I think most of the the fat wasn't there. I think if you're going to cut fat off of this movie, it's out of the interactions with the roommates. Okay, let me ask you a question then. Sure. If you had to rewrite the movie, what would you do? You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. Paul Rudd and... Um, Seth Rogen, they go on this trip to Las Vegas when they're both basically in the doghouse. Yeah, um, which is another extended like, wow, did we have to take this much time to get at this content? Yeah, and and the whole reason for them, they like go there, they have a good time at Cirque du Soleil, they do mushrooms. Cirque du Soleil, freaky. And have a really good, sweet time, which I enjoyed watching. It might not have been good for the film, but I really enjoyed Seth Rogen having a bad trip about a baby and yeah. being like, I'm scared of this. And, and that's that's good stuff. Yeah. And he's actually afraid of the responsibility of having a child, which we don't get into too much because he's too busy trying to be a good guy. Yeah. Um, oh, and I will offer this one fig leaf. If it was a TV show, I would keep everything. And I would just have like five, six episodes and it would be okay to be this long. Sure. Yeah. I feel you. Um, but then like they spend a long time in a hotel room and they get into like, you know, how... Paul Rudd is afraid of being loved too much and stuff. And he's hopping around on different chairs. It's so funny. Paul Rudd is so funny, but it's a lot of fat where I think they could spend more time with the family where Seth Rogen can see like how busy they are and have him afraid that he can't be a man child anymore because of how much you have to take care of with a child. Yeah. And I would have Catherine Heigl more worried about the relationship aspect like she is currently where she's sees the two of them and they're more charming than Tony Collette and um, Ben Falcone. Yeah. So it's, it's much easier to watch them snipe at each other because they also have lovable moments too. Right. Um, And, and it exists in a less real plane because they're always like, being comedians. Right. Um, but I think I would have those two viewpoints a little bit more sharply focused. And then I would trim because we need like the stuff with all of the roommates like Jonah Hill and Jason Segel. And hold on. I want to call him out. I keep forgetting his name. Um, the other Canadian guy, uh, Jay, Jay, what's brutal or yeah, yeah. Something like that. Cause they're all great. And you want to leave parts of them in there, but there were parts where they just like went on and on with jokes where it was like, this is what unrated feels like Yeah, where you thought it was too funny to cut from the movie. Yeah. And so you're subsisting on comedy rather than story, which is fun sometimes, but the whole movie can't be like that. So I would have trimmed a little bit of that out if I'm rewriting the movie. Yeah. And pro tip for everybody. If you get, if you're, 
watching a film and you're like going to rent it and it's like, do you want to watch the theatrical cut or the unrated cut? Just don't bother with the unrated cut. The, Just don't bother. The only one I would push back on maybe is the is Forgetting Sarah Marshall, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I have yeah, I think I've only seen the theatrical cut of that. I don't think I've seen unrated cut. It's I, I, because most of the the extra stuff is just like a little sweet, I guess. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I agree with Ryan because what it's exactly what Kelly said. It's just the director thinking, oh, I can't cut that. It's like yes, yes, you can. Like, and this is this is what I do with Kelly as his editor. Is like, I know it's good. I'm not cutting it out because it's bad. I have to cut it because it's too long. I'm so obstinate. <laughs> but that's that's the problem. Is like we're not saying cut these parts, like cut the like the stoner bits because it's not funny. It's funny. Yeah, just trim some of them. Yeah, yeah. and that's why it's called killing your darlings. Um, which one is the most annoying stoner to you? Um, I don't I don't like Jason in this movie because it totally contradicts his persona and how I met your mother. <laughs> I, see, and it's just like, I really hope this isn't what you're like in real life. Because no. if you are, I don't want to hang out with you. Oh, really? I, 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 I don't want to be his roommate of this character, <laughs> but I thought he was one of the funniest of them, especially with how he hit on Leslie Mann. How you doing? Good. How are you? Just trying not to stare. She's married. Why do you have to say that? What? It's a shame. You're beautiful. Thank you. And she has two kids, too. Shut up! Well, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You, you think that's going to stop him from hitting on her? It's not at all. <laughs> I love kids. Really? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was, um, what's her name? Um, oh, Charlotte E. Yeah. she She's one of the, the kind of high people that annoy the crap out of me. I know. Because... They find everything funny, but to the point where they say stuff that is just terrifying. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm Jody. Yeah. Hi. Um, I heard you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't you scared? Weight's gonna come out of it. It's gonna hurt a lot of it. Your vagina. That's so sick. I don't know. Are you hungry? I know I'm okay right now. Thank you. You must be angry at the baby whenever it steals your food. Huh? Like, oh, it's mine, not yours. But, you know, because you're family, you guys share. <laughs> Please leave me alone. You're too annoying. Yeah, and this is what it's like when I'm, like, getting a snack from the kitchen and I'm going to go back to my room when I was living in this house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> being bothered by people. Like, that's great. I have a final tomorrow. I got to go. Like, <laughs> please leave my house. <laughs> Oh, like friends of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like that's how I'd rewrite the movie. Other than that, I actually, yeah, I'm definitely, I laughed so much during this movie. Yeah, me too. I thought it was really funny. I think it's our, even more so than something about Mary, I think it's the funniest movie that we've we've had so far. What to you makes this movie, in terms of like, not rating it as a rom-com, but mm-hmm. just like funny films, like comedies, is there something, I think it's just like funny's funny. Like, is there something about this movie that makes it better as a comedy versus there's something about Mary? I, to me, it's, it's the way some, some lines land, mm-hmm. like where it's, it's the stuff that feels a little bit more real. Um, like it's, it's not the, like the absurdist comedy stuff that they keep throwing back in, at each, and forth at each other. Cause that just, it's fine and it's clever and it's witty, but it's like I'm reading a witty poem and mm-hmm. it doesn't actually hit me in the heart. What's funny to me are lines like where 
Catherine Heigl and um, Seth Rogen are drunk and they're trying to have sex for the first time. Yeah. And um, she takes off her shirt and he takes off his shirt and he's like, But he says it because he's drunk and also because he's unfiltered. Yeah. And it's not a character being so unreal. It's a character being in a situation. And that kind of situational comedy really gets me. And in the same way where like Seth Rogen is at the front door and he's trying to like get into the birthday party and the little girl answers the door and the lines are where she's like, they've been talking bad about you, but then like they end up getting into this like back and forth immature conversation about like penises. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. To to me, that situational comedy um, makes me laugh out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like Paul Rudd being yelled at by Seth Rogen and then turning to the door while holding a big cake and wearing a crown and just walking outside and saying, happy birthday. (laughs) Like those to me are all moments that live in reality and are so much funnier because these of these people's reaction. Yeah. What kind of break the illusion for me and which is why I like the fairly brothers flavor a little bit more is just, there are so many sequences where all the actors are in a room riffing with each other. Right. And those, those aren't my favorite. And that totally breaks the suspension disbelief of like, okay, I'm no longer watching a movie. I'm watching actors riff. Right. I'm watching actors deliver lines that they have been working on and like roughing out and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's the funniest way to deliver this line. And it's just like, this would have been great if it was like, if I had gotten those five guys on a stage and this was their show. Yeah. Like I would watch a Mr. Show version with all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And they just riff with each other. I would have a great time. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't really work for me, but funny is funny like comedies are weird it's just such a subjective thing and this is why like movies like Step Brothers doesn't really work as well for me because it feels like (sighs) I know you really like Step Brothers oh yeah Um, I think it's because you watched the unrated version I think you got the bad version maybe but I I do think that those characters don't exist no no it's an absurdist film right and uh, absurdist comedy is really hit or miss for me yeah like Give me some duck soup. Sure. Well, like, maybe that's pretentious of me, but but what like about Anchorman or Talladega Nights? Yeah, Anchorman. Like, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe because it's absurdist and it feels like a period piece. It it's more. It creates a bigger illusion. It does. Whereas it in like I mean, uh, Step Brothers. Step Brothers has a lot of the same like comedy. There's absurd characters in the real world. Right. Exactly. And. Every once in a while, that can work with something like Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, but, yeah. But it, it really needs to sing in mm-hmm. its comedy. It like it can't just be like, uh, I'm this person, and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to <laughs> describe because it is comedy. Yeah, and it, it is totally subjective. And it's like when you're rating comedy, it's probably the most unfair, critical point of view you can take. Which is that why so many comedies that are worthwhile in my opinion don't get nominated for oscars because it's almost like how do we judge x yeah whereas we can be a lot more harsher critics when it comes to drama yeah and that's why the big sick gets its oscar love because it brings so much in the Mm -hmm. drama department Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it is really funny but it it's good because of all the actual storytelling yeah but 
yeah, comics are just underrated at the Oscars. Then, then what? Uh, I'm going to ask you the flip side of that question. So that was the com. What about the rom? What about this movie has rom to it? For oh, you? the rom totally works for me. The romance in this film is so much better than there's something about Mary, mm. like a hundred times better because Judd Apatow is actually a very wise person when I agree. it comes to talking about romance because he's just having these characters navigate a relationship. And like Catherine Heigl, by the way, one of Catherine Heigl's best performances. I like this. I know that um, this genre likes to make fun of Catherine Heigl because of her like steepness in it for like this amount of time, like around this year. But she's really good. And she's, have you seen 27 Dresses? No. She is honestly 10 times better in this than in 27 Dresses, which I think is her quintessential rom com. Oh, really? Yeah, I would say 27 Dresses is her like when Harry met Sally it's her like like the iconic rom-com of her career this might be sacrilege of me but when she was having her baby because eventually we get to the point where um they kind of patch their relationship up on the way to the hospital and it's oh there's a spider hanging between us right here right here I can't see it oh uh Okay, that's what you want to do. <laughs> he smushed the spider. Um, when they're at the hospital, uh, Catherine Heigl is like going through the pregnancy, and this is always a challenge, right? Because you got to be sweaty. You you're in this weird compromising position as an actor, and you have like all these people surrounding you, and you're mm. the fiercest one in the room. Yep. You're bringing all of the emotion to the room, and like I got. Um, Charlize Theron vibes for yeah, her. Yeah, she's she's just excellent. She was terrifying and in it and in the moment. And when she's like talking to Kevin Jong, Kevin Jong, Ken Jong, Ken Jong, he um, like they have this argument. But then when she's like asking him for the epidural, I'm I'm just like he, he can't give it to you. And he's like being a really calming presence. And when she like flips the switch and is like, okay, okay, we can do this. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And when she screams at the guy for coming in the room <laughs> and she's so fierce. I'm... Okay. It's crowning. I'm seeing the head. Oh God. What does it look like, man? Oh God. Like, you don't want to see it. You no, want I want to see it. it. Beautiful. You don't want it though. No, I want to see it. Oh God. Oh God. Oh. Okay. We're almost home. She's surprised. Great. Like it, she was great. And when she calls Seth Rogen earlier in the movie to talk about what are they going to do about the baby and how she decided to keep the baby, she's like crying, but she's also like laughing when he makes like a little joke. Yeah. And there's something so good. She's real, and I think, I think that's also the talent of Judd Apatow is that he knows what to do with really good actors. I think he does, and I think part of what is necessary about this movie when it has so much of that. Um, that sit around in a room comedy is it needs something balancing that. And that's basically a straight man. And that's your Catherine Heigl. In this oh yeah. Film. Yeah. She's because fantastic. even Leslie Mann is, is a, a good comedian in her own right, even though she's not participating in that comedy in this movie as much. Yeah. A little bit, but um, like I, I'd say Paul Rudd is 
bringing a lot more of that side of the comedy where she lives more in the real world. Like yeah. when she's arguing with Daryl uh, right. in front of the club, doorman. You know what? You may have power now, but you're not God. You're a doorman, okay? You're a doorman, 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 doorman. That's just great. And that's, There's so much humanity in that scene. There is because he's he's like, after she's like a horrible person to him, he also brings her aside and still apologizes to her. And I was like, dude, you don't need to apologize. She's being crazy. But like he but sees her. And he's saying, you need to treat me like a human being. And I want to treat you like a human being. So I'm going to say sorry that I couldn't. Yeah. But you need to not be like that. Yeah. You're right. I'm so sorry. I fucking hate this job. I don't want to be the one to pass judgment, decide who gets in. Shit makes me sick to my stomach. I get the runs from the stress. It's not because you're not hot. I would love to tap that ass. I would tear that ass up. I can't let you in because you're old as fuck. For this club, not, you know, for the earth. What? You old, she pregnant. Can't have a bunch of old pregnant bitches running around. That's crazy. I'm only allowed to let in 5% black people. He said that. Five percent. That mean if it's twenty-five people here, I get to let in one and a quarter black people. So I gotta hope it's a black midget in the crowd. No, I feel guilty. I'm sorry. Why y'all wanna be in here anyway? Y'all need to be at a yoga class or something. What the fuck is she doing at the club? That's that's not even good parenting right there. Your old ass should know better than that. And that's what I like about the Judd Apatow brand mm-hmm. is that he's bringing a lot of humanism to this. He film. really is, yeah. And and all the romance, like it really does come down to how do Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd work out their relationship troubles. And it, it's it's a portrait of how does a couple that's ten years old, a relationship ten years old, um, what are the problems they face, and mm-hmm. what is the problems of a new relationship face, and like. Catherine Heigl and Seth Rogen is just more interesting because of the variables in it of like their opposites. He's trying to get his shit together. They're having a baby. They didn't have a relationship beforehand. There's so much more to it, but both relationships have a lot of truth to it. And I liked like the whole thing of him going to fantasy baseball and like, he's like, I need a break sometimes. And she's like, I need a break too. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I like, especially it's way more, heavy in your life when you have a child because that's been the conflict that has been the theme of the past eight months is like wow i didn't realize how much me time i needed when robin and i were talking the other day um she she brought up the fact that a lot of movies seem prescriptive these days yeah in in like their relationships where it's like the writing is saying like it's it's afraid to have people be still bad at the end of the scene or, or still in in the wrong at the end of yeah, the scene. Yeah, have their flaws and not stay learn flawed. a lesson basically. Yeah. And this movie is I think good because Judd Apatow understands that what is hard in a relationship isn't the normal stuff that is hard like not having enough time, not um like having the extras that you want. Like that, that makes it like a little difficult, but what makes a relationship hard is a lack of communication. Yeah. And, um, and you don't like fix that after a conversation. You don't. And like she leaves and Paul Rudd, like, you know, goes back inside to baseball land, uh, presumably. Yeah. Like we don't really get the conversation of them fixing 
things. And I think I would have liked that where they came home from Las Vegas and Seth Rogen showed up and part of his trying to get back with Catherine Heigl was like trying to patch up their relationship somehow by like bringing him over and being like, talk it out yeah, or something. But the reason like those two characters, the Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann characters got their own movie was because they felt so real. Yeah. So they, they made a semi sequel to this film called this is 40. Did mm-hmm. you see it? No, but I'm interested in watching it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in watching it. I do think there is a bit of a blindness in Judd Apatow where he gives a lot of material to his wife. And I feel like he's, he's a little bit biased <laughs> to mean, give her so much material. I'd say that would be something that you would also do. <laughs> you have blindness when it comes to you, to your relationship. You- yes. <laughs> but I don't, I don't cast Sarah in my movies. Well, no, because she's not an actor. But if she was, I would probably try and resist that temptation. You you um, have Sarah edit your work. But you're my primary editor. Sure, sure. But She's she also does costumes editor. for our film sometimes. Yeah, okay. But come <laughs> no, on. No, wouldn't you concur I'm, I'm, that there is a bit of a... I'm saying if she was a part of our world being the film world, she would have a bigger part of your stuff, just like my wife does. She... Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think this is like a family effort. I do feel like this is like when Francis Ford Coppola cast his daughter in Godfather 3, where it's like, this is not the best choice. Mm. And I'm not saying Leslie Mann is bad in this movie. No, I think she's perfect for this movie. I do think she just kind of, her character kind of steals things. Not even steals things, but I feel like they're, again... I don't care about Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd as much in this movie. And mm. I feel like it's just like, you need to keep a focus on Catherine well, Heigl. I think it's harder to care about those two characters because they're more caricatures. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're just less characters than our main ones. Yeah. And everybody in this movie is. Yeah. Like from the, from Dr. Pellegrino <laughs> and him just like continually talking as they start fi- like crying. And yeah. he's like, I'll just be outside. Which, <laughs> His reaction is like, I was at that doctor's visit, and it's always emotional. Like, uh-huh. it's like, what did you expect? <laughs> like, the doctor's like, oh, they're getting emotional. It's like, yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but th- it's not like, like, this movie This movie does some commenting, like some social commenting, where, like, he comes in and he calls them Mr. and Mrs. Stone. Yeah, and it's like, come on. You get a, you get a shot of Catherine Heigl being like, oh. And it seemed a little telegraphy where Judd Apatow is like, yeah, that's right. This is what people have to deal with. But and no, it's like, I, I, I'm sorry. Like every doctor's visit, they're like, and you're the father. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> it seemed a little on the nose, but it, it was really jarring. Um, uh, when I was going to every doctor's visit and I mean it every single time they were like, and this is your first child. Like to me, they're like Sarah, and, then, this- and you were like that I know about. <laughs> but that's what they meant is like they always were assuming the most, the not, greatest not, possibility. Yeah, of like he, this could be a second marriage. This could be a, a second, third, fourth, fifth child for this guy. First child for her. Like they were like, and this is your first child, Sarah. And she's like, yes. And then they would turn to me and like, and this is your first child, Ryan. Like. Didn't you hear her? She just said yes. They're like, no, this is your first child. I'm like, oh, yes. Like, I'm so stuck in this nuclear family mentality. uh And I feel like the medical world, at least today, maybe 12 years ago, it was different. Sure. But like the medical world that 
we ran into was just assuming inverse nuclear family, just yeah. not nuclear family. Or it was at least giving you the space to not be. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, yeah. And so something about it, like I haven't been through that experience, but it, it seemed again, like they were playing for comedy versus reality. Right. Which was funny sometimes, but like the, the times that it, it works for me are like when Kevin or Ken Jong mm-hmm. is miffed that they're not listening to him. And Seth Rogen has to take him out into the hall <laughs> and be like, you're being an asshole. I need you to like come to a place with me. Yeah. And that to me didn't feel like comedy for comedy's sake because there were actual stakes between these two characters. Very good storytelling. Yeah. And I think there's nothing, as I'm told, there's nothing more sexier than a guy taking charge. <laughs> I'm told that that <laughs> this is a look into Ryan and Sarah's sex life. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't mean sexier like that. I mean no, yeah, yeah. Just uh, attractive, just like a guy taking charge. Well, I think honestly coming from I I I I have been told that as well, but coming from the other side, I never mind a a lady who takes charge either. I think I think no matter what, both sides. Like I love it when there's I a see, sense of confidence and being like yeah. feeling like this person if I'm not capable for some reason, this person is. Yeah. And there's something safe and sexy about that. Yeah. There's there's times when we're out and about and like Sarah needs to ask someone something and she's too shy and she makes me do it. And it's just like, <laughs> you can do it. And she's like, I don't want it. And there's other times where there's some toughs on the road and you're like, go beat them up. Well, <laughs> but there's definitely times where Sarah is far more authoritative on something mm-hmm. that's being dealt with. And it's so attractive to see her. Like we were talking about her career, about her being a therapist and all the things that she wants to do. And I'm just like so amazed at her knowledge, but also like seeing seeing her go from we were undergrads together seeing her go through grad school seeing her go through internships to finally at this point now where she's just owning her career it's mm. just it's so attractive <laughs> well what about so let's talk about Katherine Heigl's career then at yeah. that point because like i feel like that is uh something we haven't really touched on she's a reporter who's living in a world where um Kristen Wiig and Alan Tudyk are in a scene. They're so her bosses. Good. Like uh, this, this made me think like, I barely recognize Kristen Wiig mm-hmm. in that scene. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's Kristen Wiig. And then Alan Tudyk's there too. And I'm like, why isn't he in more like comedies? Like, yeah. this? I feel like he's such a safe, great actor. Well, you know, like cause Kristen Wiig is extremely funny. And I think Alan Tudyk is funny too. He just isn't, allowed in in things that are made for comedy for him unless he's in a joss whedon yeah so project. actually disney has figured this out and they've cast alan tudyk in star wars they have him in star wars they have him in several animated films he's in wreck it ralph i think he's entangled he he's- plays the chicken in uh, moana Yeah, he he's he, Disney. Disney knows what kind of talent he is. He's he's a special kind of talent, and they they basically play these bosses where Alan Tudyk um, is like, "Hey, we want to let you go on on screen," um, mm-hmm. and he's like, "But make sure you keep it tight." And tight. like like they're just making fun of like basically Hollywood making people have to be beautiful. Yeah, um, which is true if you watch any E Entertainment, it's just beautiful people yeah. standing in a room. What is this, people? 
Hmm. The most beautiful people, people. Um, I think we're finally starting to get away from yeah, that. Yeah, probably in the last five years. I haven't seen E in a while. <laughs> yeah. But um, back when this movie Absolutely. came out, for sure. Yeah. Um, and Kristen Wiig is like kind of this weird antagonist where she's like, I didn't really want you here, but that's yeah, fine. She's so good. But she has to hide from these two people that she's getting pregnant once she finds out because she wants to... She's afraid that she's going to get like let go or at least shunted off camera. Right. And um, that ends up not being the case fun enough at the end of the movie where they're like, we want you to do a, a thing with a whole bunch of pregnant women because pregnancy is cool. Yeah. That's like this movie has a positive outlook mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of see how cynical it is at the beginning and how positive it turns at the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I, I liked her and Bill, oh, that was the other thing I wanted Bill to talk Hader. about. Bill Hader. Okay, so comedy wise, when this movie takes too much time to comment on things, I think that's when it's at its worst. Mm-hmm. But I think I think what American comedies do that British comedies do much better is allow their actors to be physical. And mm-hmm. it kind of allows the camera to be physical with them. Like if you're looking at an Edgar Wright comedy compared right. to like a Judd Apatow, where Judd is, is is using really good film grammar and he's like setting up his shots very well, but there's nothing interesting really going on with those shots. But he has such com- like such talented physical actors like Bill Hader where she throws up and Bill Hader's reaction is just to hold up his hands <laughs> as if it's not his fault yeah. and he just keeps them there the whole time and it's so funny and it's so much funnier than him commenting in the background being like yeah it looks like she thinks that she's pregnant right now yeah um whereas like Edgar Wright will allow his his people like the space to be physically funny. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's another thing about this film that I, I liked and wanted more of and that annoyed me about it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why don't we take a break? And mm. when we come back, um, we're gonna have a new segment for you guys. All right. Welcome to trope talk. Uh, this is mine and Ryan's extremely manly version of car talk. <laughs> Tell me about the engine that makes this trope work. What, what trope are we car, talking about today? Whenever car talk comes on, I'm like, oh, man, way to make me feel inferior. <laughs> um, well, that's okay. Um, maybe maybe the local mechanic can learn something from us. That's true. Ryan, what trope are we talking about in this movie? We're talking about opposites attract. Nice. Like two magnets. Um, this, this movie, as we've already talked about a little bit, has these two... Not polar opposite characters, but they're, I mean, they're, as as far as any of the couples that we've seen so far, they're probably the most opposite. Yeah. Because even though you have, like, let's say a Peter Kavinsky and a Laura Jean, um, right. they're two high schoolers that are interested in different things, but they're, they can go over to each other's house and there isn't a weird conversation at the table. Yeah. Whereas... The way Seth Rogen interacts with the world and the way Katherine Heigl interacts with the world are complete opposites. And mm-hmm. we can see this most emblematically when her friends show up and she wants to hide Seth Rogen yeah. because she's embarrassed by him. Yeah. What's uh, what's another movie that we've seen this stuff in? Uh, that we've done an episode on yet so far? Well, no. I, I'm thinking, like, let's go back in the history of, oh, of this one trope. of the great opposite attract movie is uh, Harold and Maude. Yeah, <laughs> I I wasn't even thinking in that regard. But um, very opposite all across the board. Harold's like 
19, 20, Maud is in her 70s, mm-hmm. and Harold is obsessed with death, and Maud is obsessed with life, and they... But she's close to death, and he's very young. Yeah, yeah. and they they have this relationship, this unexpected relationship that is... A romantic one. A romantic one. It's physical. It's romantic. It's just a really beautiful relationship that, you know... In spite of all these divisions, they can be in love with each other. And I think um, the exploration through our genre has changed over the years, where when it started, it was much more about class, like kind yeah. of a, a like a romantic twist on The Prince and the Pauper. Where or a it's My not, Fair Lady kind of thing. Yeah, My Fair Lady, where you have... Um, you know, Rex Harrison, uh, being a, a, a speech pathologist doctor from the upper class. And he takes this lowly woman and, uh, teaches her how to interact with high society and they end up falling in love, even though they're complete opposites. Right. And um, it's weird that a lot of these times it's about reformation mm-hmm. or just hiding an aspect. Like I haven't watched it, but as I've seen in many trailers of she's all that of like, you got the cool Freddie Prince jr. You got the geek, uh, 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 Rachel Lee Cook, mm-hmm. and there's some kind of like makeover aspect or some sure. kind of thing like that of like you can't be a geek. <laughs> like uh, there's there's this question posed by our our genre where it's um, can these two people fall in love? Yeah, in spite of all their differences, right? And that's that's what this one asks, and I think it can be used for comedy, and it most often is in something like she's all that or. Um, or even like a bringing up baby. Uh, show your work. Well, you have um, this very rich socialite who is like kind of nuts in in uh, Catherine Hepburn, and then Cary Grant is more of a dork. He's a dork who like isn't up for adventure, and he's like, I just want to accomplish my goal of putting this dinosaur back together. Yeah, and. They go on an adventure together, and it's not necessarily that they find out that they're more alike than they thought they were. It's just that, oh, I didn't know our oil and water mix so well together. Oh, I like that metaphor. Now, please listen to me. You certainly can't think that I did that intentionally. Well, if I could think, I'd have run when I saw you. No, but if you'd only wait while I explain, I just gave you my first job. It can be used for comedy like that, but it can also be used to comment on society, whether it's like a class thing or maybe even a race thing, like in a look who's coming to dinner. Yeah. Like not that you're opposite because you're different race from somebody, but like it's a similar kind of thing where we're breaking this facade of a boundary for Mm -hmm. that time period. And these two people were showing you through this medium that it doesn't matter how different you are or where you come from that is different or what's different about you biologically or whatever you can still find a common ground that is love. Yeah, and it's it's almost like an easy target because it is. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you do opposites attract, it's like the opposite nature also brings a lot of conflict to work through. Uh-huh. And like that's what Notting Hill is completely um that's what the hill that it's on is that <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> You didn't I, know this film, but Notting Hill is actually the breeding center of, of like polar magnetic opposite. <laughs> and like Julia Roberts is big time celebrity. Hugh Grant is a nobody. Mm-hmm. And how are they going to figure this out of just navigating those differences? Imagine trying to give 
Hugh Grant a makeover. <laughs> it's impossible. It's too beautiful. He's too beautiful. Hugh! Hugh, Hugh Grant! I think it it both creates like standards and points out double standards in, yeah. in the industry as well. It's just a... It's one of those things that we've run into and will run into again, no matter what. Yeah. In this genre, it's never going to become uninteresting. You're just going to have to find new ways to find opposites. Yeah. And I, I think in our current culture, we can start to get at more interesting differences between ourselves. I think it's ripe. Like, this is the time, if there is a time ripe for finding comedy and truth. In opposites, this might be the perfect time for that. Yeah, because I feel like there's what's really been bugging me lately is that there have been a lot of. Um, I don't want to. This is totally generalizing and not fair. Uh-huh. But I see people on social media. Um, there are a lot of people like, if you support X, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, okay, that's literally bridge burning. Like, uh-huh. you, you don't want to talk about a thing and you don't even want to have a relationship. And I feel like. I would like us to try and go the opposite direction of we can't divide ourselves. We have to figure out how to work with each other. So I'm not saying make a movie about a liberal and a Republican like falling in love, but I don't know. No, I, I think yes in that regard. I think that that is, a, that is something that is interesting and necessary for our culture right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I am... I guess I would say a liberal, but I... You're I, not a bridge-burning liberal. No, no, no. But I I think... And again, I'm not I'm not trying to say liberals are like this. I'm saying there's no, no, a no. very specific type of person who is that. No, and, and I think there is a... I think it is very hard to create bridges. Yeah. Um, and that is where that that conflict comes into being. But where, where I do not like prescriptive filmmaking, Mm -hmm. I do think illustrative filmmaking is very important. I think, um, that is, I think art is the, the oil that keeps the cog of our culture working. And if, if we, if we see something that's wrong with our culture, art has to reflect that. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, um, division. I yeah. think that is, is is a really hard thing to deal with in our culture. West Wing got at this when they cast Blonde Lady, who was a Republican. Her character was a Republican, and they wanted her to work in the liberal White House. And I thought that was an interesting storyline. That mm. was a good arc. Mm. Um, and that's the only thing I can think of that was like talking about like uh, bipartisanship. <laughs> but I want a bipartisan rom com. Hmm. <laughs> I think well, I think that they do that in like sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. I but I think like opposites attract is something that um, I think is is ripe for you know p- a political situation. Yeah, or at least whatever. Because like Notting Hill, there was this culture of the mega celebrity, mm-hmm. and like it was a really easy, it was a low hanging fruit to kind of sure. talk about. Um, I don't think we're in the age of mega celebrity more because there's just so many celebrities now because sure. it's so easy to be a celebrity. Sure. Um, and there's just a lot less cultural cachet because that was the era of $20 million paychecks for film stars. Uh-huh. And we're nowhere in that category now because there's just so many projects and so many actors and just that doesn't, that's not a thing. So I don't know what the cultural version of that is for today, but I feel like there is more new stuff to get into you know who did this a little bit was parks and rec 
um, your character of Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. Oh, yeah. Of course, my first act as city manager will be to propose eliminating the Parks Department, although I expect a spirited debate with Leslie. Who knows what the future holds for me? Maybe I'll leapfrog Ron's job and become city manager. Of course, my first act as city manager would be to double the size of the Parks Department. Politics aside, we have two people who think opposite about something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the the fact that they care about each other more than their like standard differences mm-hmm. is something that they will butt heads about no matter what. But at the end of the day, they most of the time they still want to be in each other's good graces yeah, because they care and love each other. And I think that's what's interesting about this trope. Also, 30 Rock does it. Jack Donaghy and Cece. She's a Mm -hmm. Democrat and Jack is a Republican. But man, Jack Donaghy and the Trump era, I just don't see it. Like, I just don't see it working as well. Yeah, probably not. But I I think the more apt comparison for that show is Jack Donaghy and And Liz Liz Lemon because that is the real relationship of that. Yeah, they don't that let show. that stuff get in the way of their relationship. I mean, they do, but it's something that at the end of the day, they the, like they find a way to push past, which is just a huge metaphor for our country because we are this giant experiment of people who are allowed to think differently, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to shape one place. Yeah, but regardless of that, Ryan, what is the essential thing about this movie that would make you give it a rom-com Oscar. Yay. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. Um, cause I can't call it best comedy. I've already given that away. No, you can supersede. We've already made this rule. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to go that, that route. Um, do I have to say best? No, you could, you could give a worst or no, we said no worse, but you can, what, what's the Oscar you want? <laughs> well, I want to say most stoners. <laughs> that's not a that's thing. Not a, that, that's, <laughs> that's just an aspect of the movie. Here, why don't you go first, and then I'll, I'll probably think of one. Okay. So there's there's this moment in the movie where uh, Seth Rogen and Katherine Heigl are attempting to have sex with the... But she's probably six months pregnant at this point, maybe seven months. Uh-huh. And she's got a belly, and Seth Rogen is really afraid of poking the baby in the head with his penis. <laughs> I'm just sad the public school system failed him so badly. They're they're trying to have sex and they they try all these different positions and it's done in this way where like sometimes when you're in the midst of sex you don't want to break it up. Mm-hmm. And you you're like just wanting to continue it and there's something so realistic about their urgency but about like how like they're trying to figure it out they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to do it with each other but like with their own wants and needs and i i felt like it was a perfectly apt metaphor for what they were going through which Mm. was two people who want and need and fear different things trying to get to the end of this with their wants and needs and at the end they just couldn't do it and so they split apart and then throughout the move like throughout the end of the movie like as at, at the end um like seth rogan is just like i don't know if i can can have sex with you right now because i'm so worried about hurting the baby yeah and she's like fine you can just not have sex with me and it really hurts her and then yeah. um that really sets up the rest of 
the movie for him to like turn around and become a better person for her. And I just thought it was like, like, like I almost want to give it best sexual story beat. Yeah. I never actually thought of it that way. I just thought it was a pretty accurate representation of sex life during pregnancy. It was that too. And that's why I liked the comedy of it because it, it felt realistic. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that I never thought about that, but that is a very, uh, I think that's a very honest thing of a relationship's sex life is reflective of their personalities. And I think that's probably pretty true, or at least not reflective, or at least has a kernel of identity. A, a kernel of identity, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, you can be a lady in a street and a freak in a bed, so I've heard, according that's... to the poet Ludacris. <laughs> Luda. I mean, even that, that's just like a person's sex life is still a part of who they are. And man, does pregnancy really scramble things up. (laughs) It really scrambles a sex life Um, all across the board. Every trimester, it's new, new challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What about you? What's your, what's your rom-com Oscar? I'm going to call it best uh, birth scene. Oh, yeah. But best does not mean most accurate because that's not how it goes. It is not It is not screaming bloody murder. At least it wasn't like that for me and Sarah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't say that's not how it goes. But throughout this movie, there are so many things that are just accurate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, sec- the, the, the birth scene is less accurate but still great dramatically and sure. comically. Man, they so they actually show the crowning happening. Yeah. Um and I actually didn't look up anything about that but um I I do know that at least for her um for her belly they used uh three different prosthetics uh-huh. over the course of the movie um yeah. shaped for her body. Yeah. Cuz at one point in time like they they do a lingering shot, not like a gazy shot, but just like that's where the camera is pointed for a second at Katherine Heigl's boobs. Yeah. And it felt very like her boobs are getting big because she's pregnant. Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking practically how wardrobe is making that work for somebody who isn't pregnant. And I don't know. I just, I felt like, I felt like the costuming, I guess that is that proper costume. It's costume uh, that does the belly. Um I thought they did a really good job because I was like, yeah, she seems pregnant right now. I mean, since becoming an adult, I've learned just how magic a padded push-up bra can be. There's just a lot of engineering there that's just like, good job, <laughs> bra makers. Um, so I, I would say probably somewhere of the fine engineers of the bra people. Which um, which brings me to my next point of who would you fall in love with? Um, because of the bra? Yeah. Like that really... Uh, makes the choice happen. Uh, I was, you know, it bra, boobs, <laughs> love. Uh, definitely Charlotte E, the stoner girl from no, not her. <laughs> um, Catherine Heigl. Yeah, yeah, because she is really sweet and mm-hmm. she is very patient, and I think that's what we all want in a partner is someone who can be patient with us. Right, and she's she's one of those direct characters too, where she when she says what she needs, she's very upfront with it. Yeah. Um, though I do think that she, 
at one point in time, an earthquake happens, right? Yeah. And they all run out of the house and she feels really betrayed because Seth Rogen forgot she was even in the house sleeping and didn't check on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all, they're sitting in the, the kitchen cleaning stuff up after this earthquake. And that was a big wreck for an earthquake. I've been, I was in an earthquake bigger than whatever they were talking about. And uh-huh. to have all of your drawers come out, it needs to be a big earthquake. Yeah. Um, but regardless, she finds the books that he hadn't read, the baby books that he said he was going to. And she doesn't make a comment on it at that point in time. That was one of the only moments where I was like, why aren't you making a small deal of this at least? Yeah, I figured that was one of those moments where it's like I could put up a fight, but I I thought she was already checked out of just kind of like it doesn't matter. Like, uh, yeah, she was getting to the point where she's like, "Well, I'm here and I'm unhappy," and so it's that that point in the relationship where you're like, "I'm already unhappy." Like, yeah, what's one more thing to like? And I think it all culminates because it's. In their fight. Like, they have the car fight pretty soon after that, right? Yeah, where she, she ends up kicking him out of the car, and then he walks to the <laughs> gynecology appointment, and yeah. they, you know, have it out in that, yeah. that that room where the nurse tries to escape. Yeah. Do not make fun of me. Okay, I am hormonal, I am terrified, and I am falling apart, so stop treating everything like it's a big joke. Okay, I'm sorry you're freaking out, but I just walked three fucking miles through Koreatown to get here. Sorry if I'm trying to lighten the mood a little. Well, don't, okay? You can't take anything seriously. You know, you didn't even read the baby books. I didn't read the baby book. What's gonna happen? How did anyone ever give birth without a baby book? That's right. The ancient Egyptians fucking engraved what to expect when you're expecting on the pyramid walls. I forgot about that. Who gives a flying fuck about the baby book? It just shows your lack of commitment, Ben, that you're not in this with me. Uh, did, what, when, did you just say my lack of commitment? Because that's what it sounded like. It almost seems as though you forgot I proposed to you like an asshole, and you said no to me. If you feel that way, you should just go. Really, just go. Because we didn't mean to do this together, okay? And And we tried to make it work, and that was good, I suppose. But it doesn't work because we are two completely different people. And I think it would just be easier for both of us if we stopped fooling ourselves. You know, I know this isn't you talking. It's your hormones. But I would just like to say, fuck you, hormones. You are a crazy bitch. Hormones, not Allison. Hormones, fuck them. It's a girl. Buy some pink shit. Even though Paul Rudd has a hard time communicating, Mm. I'm still going to say Paul Rudd. Yeah. He's... He's too lovable for me not to. I don't want to spoil the person I'd fall in love with for I Love You Man when we get to that. Uh But Paul Rudd and I Love You Man is my perfect man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that that was the movie. Well, I do want to talk about some things that I will... I want to bring in some relatability stuff that I thought was interesting. Can I Go ahead. can I approach the bench? There are things that are very accurate about going through the birthing process. And there are things where I'm just like, I don't understand why you've concocted this conflict in this movie. Like what? Uh, uh so yes, it's it feels super important both to mom and dad about having a doctor that is with them every step of the way and is at the 
birthing part. Mm-hmm. And when Seth Rogen is cussing out the doctor who went to the bar mitzvah for three days, uh-huh. funniest bit in the entire film. It's pretty solid. Because that is exactly... Like, this is the kind of humor that is really cathartic because he's doing the yelling that you would want to do but would never bring yourself to, and you're just laughing because it's it's gleeful. Yeah, even though it's over the top, it's still hanging on to a shred of reality that makes it work. And it's just absolutely cathartic because it's just like, ah, the comeuppets of saying stuff like Mm -hmm. that, of wanting to tell someone off but never being able to and someone doing it for you. Yes. But Uh, the... The strategy of like, we have all these gynecologists on a Rolodex and we'll just keep calling gynecologists to come in. I, I don't, that maybe that's how it can go. But as far as us, we were in the health insurance system of being in the Kaiser system and like we picked our doctor, but it just kind of was like, well, here's your doctor and there's like 50 backups in case something happens to your doctor or they go somewhere yeah. else. And the birthing process is so long that. Maybe your your gynecologist, your OB, is going to be the one who does the actual birth part. And this is not something you realize until you get to the end. But the the woman who actually did the delivery, I don't know who she was. She just worked at the hospital, and we were we were the fifth in line that day. And I just want to say, oh my god, were we so taken care of? And if anyone working at that Kaiser is listening. Thanks again. <laughs> you guys did a great <laughs> I, job. I, I've seen this before. Like I've seen this in multiple sitcoms where the conflict isn't, we're having a baby, we need to take care of it. They're like, we need to stack something on top of it, whether it's, you know, getting to the hospital on time, whether, you know, there's uh, like a certain, oh, like with the office, when Pam's having her baby, she needs her mixtape, right? And yeah. so Dwight's supposed to go home and get the iPod and bring it to her. Um, and all of these things feel real. The one that never feels real to me is making sure my personal doctor is there. And maybe that's because I don't live in a world where I have a personal doctor right now. Yeah. But I, 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 it could be so much more important if you're in that situation, I guess, but it does seem a little unrealistic. Well, the the thing is, I don't, it's definitely true that that desire is so true. We did totally feel that because when we started going to our doctor, we had Dr. Yao. Dr. Yao, if you're listening, we love you and we miss you because she had to move on and she's in some other department sure. now. But like, it was so great to have Dr. Yao walk with us from every trimester and just having her just kind of understand where Sarah's been in her pregnancy and like mm-hmm. what, like the birth plan is. And I wish the movie got into this because at the end of the movie, Catherine Hegel's like, that's not part of my birth plan. And me, I'm like, you got to follow the birth plan. It's like super important where you figure out way ahead of time. Do I want drugs or not? What kind of drugs do I want? Um, if I, At what point will I have the drugs? And okay. All these things kind of stack up. So I really wish there was a scene. You could have had a really good comedic scene where they talked about it, but it felt really latent to talk about, like, no, it's got to be drug-free. And, like, that's what Ken Jeong's conflict is. Like, uh, we're doing it my way. Um, anyways. The, so what's your point, though? My point is, it was half the time it was really accurate, and the other half the time felt really concocted. And it was just kind of a weird dissonance where it's like, why did you go so far in the accuracy in this part, but just kind of do the sitcom thing in this other part? It felt kind of random to me. Because, I mean, it's more about 
it's more about the comedy of the moment than it is the reality of the world sometimes. And that's, that's the parts that didn't work for you. Uh, yeah, but I, I really, what I'm saying is I really appreciated all the other accuracies. <laughs> Ryan comes to these movies for accurate representations of the birthing process. This is like the eighth time you've brought it up in this podcast. It's super relatable for me and it's super moving to me. It's something that like it, it's moving to you if they're really accurate about the birth. Absolutely. No, not not the process, but like like earlier on we're going through step by step like, with this. If I was to watch the episode of Phoebe and Friends giving birth mm-hmm. to the twins. Now that I've been through it, it still doesn't hit me anymore. Like it's always just been like, oh, Phoebe had her babies. That's nice. But watching Knocked Up, I actually did get emotional watching them go through the process. Mm. Uh, I, I don't get emotional watching Phoebe go through the process because it's so sitcom-y about it. Right, yeah. Um, and like Adam Scott, totally how the nurses are. Like, they're just awesome. And actually, the nurses were probably did 90% of the work for the birthing process. So. You thought Adam Scott was awesome? Yeah. It I feels like that's not what in this movie. It felt well. No, he was good in this movie, but um, I feel like Seth Rogen was like, "I don't. Wh- what are you doing here?" Because it's Adam Scott. Because he's pretty. I, I wasn't quite sure how he felt about Adam Scott. It, yeah. it was kind of this weird thing of like, "Are you doing a male nurse joke?" Like, yeah, I wasn't sure what the joke was there. Um, but for me, it was one of those like Adam Scott in this movie felt like a cameo. And all the other it actors did. in this movie don't feel like cameos. Yeah, Adam Scott like steps up and he's like, hi, it's me. It's Adam Scott, everybody. And for me, I'm like, hey, it's Ben Wyatt. <laughs> um, I, I really like the scene of her taking the bath and like him like, yeah, rushing Yeah, that over. was one of the best scenes because yeah. he's like looking for her and then he shows up and she's like, just be calm. We don't have to talk about our relationship. Just be here for me. And that's what I mean is like you took something that is actually more accurate because it's never a rush to the hospital the mm-hmm. first time. It's more like that. And I feel like that was when it you took something accurate and you made some really good storytelling. You you got really good storytelling out of it. Uh-huh. But where does the inaccuracy lie for you? Oh, then? not that scene. I know it. It was it was the this conflict of like her. She was freaking out because they couldn't get a hold of their doctor. Right. Uh-huh. And it's just kind of like I, I'm thinking. I'm sitting there. I'm like, you guys are fine. Well, I I know, but like. For me, the reality of the scene was Catherine Heigl really wants this doctor in particular. Yeah. She doesn't want another doctor. She wants it to go the way that she wants it to go because nothing else in this pregnancy really has gone the way she wants it to go. She's not with the guy she wants to kind of wanted to be with. She doesn't have her doctor. Like she's living at her sister's house. For me, it made sense that this was the one thing she was able to control and have go her way. And then nothing goes her way because as uh, Harold Ramis says, you can't live your life according to a plan. You just have to, you know, go with it when something Mm -hmm. is thrown in your way. And so it made perfect sense that they would set it up in that way. Set it up. Uh, Set it up. (laughs) That's what Um, this movie was missing. Speaking of uh, what this movie was missing, uh, what movie were we watching next week? (laughs) right there so actually um we're not going to pick a random movie this week uh we're going to do something a little bit special for you people it's holiday season we're feeling generous so we're going to drop two episodes over the next couple weeks um we're going to do a special holiday thanksgiving episode of t hanksgiving or to hanksgiving to hanksgiving uh it's a tradition in mine and ryan's household's 
that started a year ago mm-hmm. <laughs> where in in on Thanksgiving we watch a Tom Hanks film and we're going to do it a little bit earlier this year um and I think let's go with Sleepless in Seattle. Didn't we already do Sleepless? In- no, no, we did. We've just talked about it a million times. <laughs> it's so fresh in my heart that I'm just like, oh, yes, of course. But we're going to start off a slew of, like, we're going to start off with T. Thanksgiving, which is, you know, kind of a holiday film. There's a lot of holidays in it. Oh, yeah. But um, we're, I think this is going to start off a slew of, like, our December holiday yeah. movies. And the next one after that, next Sunday, is going to be a Hulu original holiday film. What is it called, Ryan? It's called Happiest Season. Yes, Happiest Season. And it stars um, Kristen Stewart, K-Stu. K-Stu. Um, and Mackenzie Davis, and directed by Clea Duvall. Oh, um, cool. So, yeah. great cast, and uh, it's a Hulu original that's coming out Thanksgiving week, and we will have a review, a fresh review, right after it. Yeah, so you have time to get your free Hulu subscription, mm-hmm. or if you already have one, go watch that movie, because... Like I, I'm really excited for this holiday season. I'm. I think we should make a shorter list just with our holiday films, mm-hmm. and then randomize it out of that. And we also might want to do a Hallmark Christmas film or a <laughs> Lifetime Christmas film. I'd even go so far as to do the Christmas Prince with you. Oh, the Christmas Prince. That should be our but I'm power gonna, hour. <laughs> but I'm not going to have a good time. <laughs> Me neither, but I always have a good time doing this with you, Ryan. Me too. Um, and I'm so glad that we don't have to like find a way to love each other because one of us is pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I, I love you. I love you despite the fact that you can't have my child. I love you because you can have my child. What? <laughs> But wait, 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 wait. What? We also have to tell people where to find us. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um... You can find us this holiday season on Facebook and Instagram at romcomgents. Mm-hmm. Write us at romcomgents at gmail.com. Write us what you liked, what you didn't like, what you think we missed. Tell us about your favorite holiday rom-coms. Like if there's a Hallmark yeah. movie where you're like, you have to watch this, please yeah. let us know. Because as much as I'm not necessarily looking forward to it, I would love my knowledge expanded by those who do love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you have an idea, please uh, let us know. And if you're looking for free gift ideas, you can just tell people to listen to our podcast. And that's the... <laughs> Merry Christmas. The, I gave you the... I gave you an idea. The gift of information. Yeah. Which we're living in the information age. So wouldn't that be the best gift of all? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> and this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. <laughs>